Good early morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Friday, November the 24th, 2003 in Canada. Uh, I have with me today uh, Karen Alpert in Australia, where it certainly is not early in the morning and may or may not be November the 24th. It's still the 24th. Oh my God, all of us are on the same day. This is fabulous. All right. Yeah. And we have, of course, Laura Snyder with me as well. And this is a continuation of our podcast, the Seat Podcast, about the working papers. And at present, uh, there are 16. And this is our effort to talk about these 16 working papers and turn them into podcasts and sort of bring them down to you know, what does this stuff actually mean in people's lives, right? You know, sometimes it can be so abstract that, you know, people recognize an injustice when they see it, but how does this really play out in people's lives? And our first podcast, of course, was about the Supreme Court decision in 1924 of Cook versus Tate. And we kind of use that as the, as the marker, if you will, right? The line in the sand. The thing that really... Justice McKenna changed the world without even knowing about it. And today we're picking up with working paper number two, which is titled Extraterritorial Taxation Number Two. How is it experienced? And I expect this to be a great conversation. I expect it to be largely based on uh, the survey that, that, that Laura's put together. But as before we get into the discussion, Karen, could you review for us exactly what extraterritorial taxation is before we jump into this? Well, the United States is unique in taxing people who don't even live there, have no economic activity in the U.S., solely because they happen to have citizenship or, or permanent residency in the U.S. So, um, and they tax... And it's not just, oh, you know, send us a few dollars or, or whatever. It's file a tax return as if you lived in the U.S., following all the rules that we apply to people who live in the U.S. Sounds fair, right? But it isn't because the rules are xenophobic in a long, lot of ways, where anything that's foreign is treated as suspect. But if you live outside the U.S., your whole life is foreign. So your whole life is suspect, and this is this is why we're why there are problems with the U.S. practice of taxing U.S. nationals regardless of where they live. Now, Karen, I understand there's another country in the world that taxes uh, its citizens abroad, but but really that's a kinder, general, more gentle nation than the United States, isn't it? What, what it, country is that? It, well, it's Eritrea, which is a small African country uh, but they um, don't apply the same rules to people inside and outside the country so if you're outside the country it's a fairly simple what did you make send us two percent ah do you think that if the united states did that what did you make just send us two percent would that be a better system for americans abroad i i don't i don't think there's even a, a case for even that. And and the real problem with Eritrea is the way they try and enforce it, which 
yeah, the way the U.S. tries to enforce it is um, not not great. But oh, it's, worse. it's worse, isn't it? I mean, the U.S. enlists uh, banks. The U.S. tries to enforce it by scaring you, whereas Eritrea tries to enforce it by scaring the people, the relatives you have that live in the country. Interesting. Interesting. Well, it is. It's fascinating how both uh, taxation and citizenship have been weaponized. But okay, now, that's very interesting. Well, well, Laura, you got to repeat. I mean, you've done all this fabulous research over the over the last couple of years. Great stuff. And uh, you know, you you've uh, got working paper too. It says, "How is this this actually experienced? Like, what does it actually mean?" In the day-to-day lives of people impacted by it. So uh, let's start the conversation uh, with that. What are your thoughts on that, Laura? Well, the paper consolidates three surveys. Um, so the one that SEAT did a couple years ago, as well as one that Democrats Abroad did uh, last year, I think. And um, and then one that uh, the Association of Americans Resident Overseas Aero did also a couple of years ago. So what the what the working paper number two does is consolidate uh, into one paper what you can learn in reading those three survey reports. So on that point, Laura. Now I understand that uh, in a recent conversation with somebody, there was a suggestion that somehow, you know, seed sample, you know, might not have been appropriate or I don't quite understand how that could be. But the point here is in this working paper, you're not only talking about the seed survey, but you're talking about one from Democrats abroad. In fact, you are actually talking about all of the information, all of the publicly available information from surveys. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Well, there's been many surveys that have been conducted. Um, I didn't attempt to consolidate the results of all of the surveys. I don't know I could do that. Um, so I just took the three most recent ones uh, at the so time the, that I did this. So the three most recent would be C, which Democrats abroad. And Arrow. And Arrow, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we'll talk about this in another podcast, but those are three groups, organizations that have been each in their own way clearly focused on this issue. So, I mean, those, those surveys yeah. would be... Uh, would I think have been designed very, very clearly to try to, you know, extract as much accurate information about people's experiences as possible, right? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. Well, Laura, I mean, let's sort of big picture and then work backwards, perhaps getting more granular. And, and Karen, I would invite you as the administrator of the Fix the Tax Treaty site and Facebook group in Australia, you have a lot of experience talking to people about this to weigh in here. But but Laura, if you had to uh, explain a 30-second elevator pitch, how this affects people's lives, uh, let's start with that. Well, Karen did a good job of summing it up. Um, essentially, people are forced to live by... Americans are singled out on the basis of their nationality and subjected to rules that basically penalize almost every aspect of their financial lives in the places where they live, making it very difficult for them to live a normal life in the place where they live. Okay. Um, so the bottom line is that these extraterritorial rules are not expressions of love. 
They are not expressions of how can we assist you living better in another country. Rather, they're the opposite. Yeah, they are the exact opposite, and they impose life restrictions on people that make it extremely difficult for them to live lives that are comparable to their friends and neighbors in that country, correct? Yes. You can't live a life comparable to your neighbors where you live. You can't live a life comparable to people who live in the United States, regardless of their uh, nationality. Okay. Now, Karen, a while ago, and I don't remember when, seems like we've been at this a long time. I remember that you wrote an article uh, something like uh, investing with your hands tied behind your back. Or yeah, something. investing with one hand tied behind your back. Ah, yeah, great title. And I wonder, it seems like a good moment perhaps for you to summarize what you were trying to do with that article. Yeah, so I was looking at how the typical Australian saves for retirement, invests to build wealth, runs their their own small business, and saying, can you do that in Australia if you're a dual citizen and that where one of those countries that you're a citizenship citizen of is the United States? And I basically demonstrated that um, what saving for retirement on Australia, you have superannuation. It's a separate entity where the other, tax is paid inside this separate entity so it's not paid individually and the u.s tax code looks at it and says oh no tax has been paid which is not true but since you didn't pay it yourself you're not getting any credit for it and then to incentivize people to save for retirement there are tax concessions at retirement where it's basically tax-free in Australia. Withdrawals are tax-free. And the IRS looks at that and says, uh, look, there's income. We're going to tax it. Oh. And so you're not in the same position as your Australian neighbor who's able to take their money from their superannuation without paying any Australian tax on it. Okay, so Karen, would you would you agree that this is sort of a fair summary? Okay, the government of Australia, like all other countries, has a retirement planning programs. In this case, the superation is mandatory. Okay, that's, that's right. All, all residents are required to participate in. It is all the, employees. Yes. Okay, all employees are required to participate in, et cetera, et cetera. And what you're telling me is that for U.S. citizens, uh, for dual citizens in Australia who are subject to these U.S. rules, that basically the U.S. rules frustrate that intention and objective. That's right. They take away all of the tax benefits that the Australian government has given to incentivize Australian residents to save for their retirement. So what Australia giveth, the United States taketh. Would that be a That's fair statement? Now, continuing that theme of what the country, the other country giveth, the United States taketh, Laura, what can you add to that? Well, I think on that theme, you can also look at things like uh, when people in, well, other types of investments that are tax advantaged in other countries like the UK um, ESA or the French uh, Assurance Vie, um, you can also look at things like certain capital gains tax when people sell their homes. 
the country where the American lives will try and, you know, either in terms of those investments, try and, you know, give those investments some sort of favorable tax treatment to encourage people to make those investments. Well, the, the U.S. rules say basically what you said. Well, thank you very much. Since you didn't pay tax on that where you live, we're going to tax it. You know, the United States is going to tax it. Um, and again, you know, that type of thing happens only to Americans who live outside the United States. Doesn't happen to other people who live outside the United States. It doesn't happen to pe people who live in the United States. Um, you can also see that um, it depends, but you can often see that when people sell their homes uh, that they've owned for a long time and, you know, the, the um, value is appreciated over time. Um, for whatever reason, the country where the American lives will either not tax the gain on that or tax it at a very low level. And the United States will say, okay, well, we'll tax that then. Thank you. But selling a home is, is the worst because generally when you buy a home, you take out a mortgage and you take out that mortgage in the currency where you live. And so mm -hmm. e the exchange rate is either going to cause you to have a gain on the mortgage and a loss on the house or the other way around, a loss on the mortgage and a gain on the house. So Karen, just hold on a minute now. Did I hear you right? Are you telling me that assuming a U.S. citizen abroad is compliant with U.S. tax rules, that any per, that any sale of a principal residence is going to create U.S. tax liability one way or That's the other? Right. That's right. That's right. One way or the kidding. other. How can that be fair? Uh, fair doesn't ring. It doesn't go enter the equation at all, John. Not a bit. Not a bit, no. And and because buying a home is a personal transaction, the loss leg of that transaction is disallowed for U.S. tax purposes. So if you lose money on the mortgage, you don't get to take that into account if the exchange rate means you have a gain on the house so from, and vice versa. So from a U.S. tax IRS perspective, looking at an American abroad, it'd be sort of like heads I win, tails you lose. Would that be a fair statement? Pretty much, right. All right. Well, I, I mean, this is absolutely extraordinary, extraordinary stuff. No question about it. I mean, so, I mean, would you feel comfortable? I mean, how does an American avoid this? I mean, you can avoid the, I guess what you do is you move every couple of years to ensure there's no capital gains every, you know, to ensure you get the 250. But, yeah. You want to get the 250 grand, but you got to watch the exchange rate and make sure you don't make a gain on that mortgage. That's right. Oh my God. You know, it seems to me it takes an awful lot of time to be a U.S. citizen. Would you agree with that, Laura? Oh yeah, and you definitely see that coming out in the in the what the participants in the in the survey say that they spend an awful lot of time trying to figure out how to organize their finances, and then also an awful lot of time just trying to figure out how to how to complete a U.S. tax return. Okay, well now let's break these into you know different categories. Now you know. You know, we're sitting here, you know, having this discussion so far today about, you know, the insanity of, you know, what these rules are objectively. OK, but, you know, we're dealing with real people here, with real lives, with real problems, with real dreams, with real goals. And I'm going to make a statement and I'd like each of you to weigh in on this. Basically the U.S. tax system is destroying the lives of Americans abroad. You can go Certainly ahead. For some people, that's true. 
certainly for some people that's true. Um, if people who are trying to integrate into the economies where they're living, um, yeah, you, I mean, you see it. You see people um, basically, you know, going bankrupt, going on to uh, social assistance because they don't have, they can't figure out any other way to live, to, to comply with the U.S. law and, and make any money where they are. Now, you talk about social assistance, the, you know, maybe I'll just use the word welfare. Maybe it will resonate yeah. better with people. But I mean, did I hear you right? The U.S. will, t but, you know, you tell so them will go on welfare. But my understanding is that the U.S. would want to tax that welfare as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, if it's not for, um, it depends on what it's for. You know, certain types of social security payments that aren't. Unemployment, unemployment, they will, they will tax. So the key point is that that type of payment cannot be excluded under the foreign earned income exclusion. Right, that's okay. right. That's so right. it's subject to tax, whether you pay tax or not. Okay, Laura, what do you think about this? Uh, so, so oh, hang on, Karen. So what is the type of person whose life is not being negatively impacted by this? Who would they be? But you're asking me a friend. Oh, go ahead, Karen. They would be the people who are outside of the U.S. temporarily. So they've, they've got a foreign assignment for five years and then they're going back. So their focus of finance, their financial life is still in the U.S. Um, retirees abroad, again, their focus, their financial life is in the U.S. because during their working years, they saved in the U.S. for their retirement. Wait, just pausing on that, Karen, one second, okay? I want to be clear on the definition of retirees. By that, you mean people who worked, their career was in the U.S., they stopped working and then moved abroad. That's who you're That's right. That's what I mean. People are not referring to some long-term U.S. expat or emigrant who happened no, no, to be no. retired. No, really, really, the dividing point is where is the focus of your financial life? Where do you keep your savings? Where do you save for retirement? Those types of things, if they, if the more you have in the U.S., the easier it is for you to comply as a U.S. Uh, on a U.S. tax return. Would you agree that in reality that Americans abroad are actually subjected to an entirely different U.S. tax system than resident Americans? As long as they try and invest outside of the U.S., yes. All right, Laura, pick up the ball here. What are your thoughts on that? Is this, well, I recall the, the starting question was, is this destroying the lives of Americans abroad? Yeah, I, I, if I could before, I want to answer that question, but I, I think we need a follow-up to what you just asked Karen. Um, Karen, you're right when you said that, you know, the dividing line is where are your financial interests centered in the U.S. or outside the U.S.? What do you say to people who say, fine, then when you live overseas, just invest all your money in the U.S.? What's your problem? Yeah, but then you're if you're living long term in another country, then you're subjecting yourself to all that exchange rate risk. And if you're living long term in another country, you may have your U.S. accounts closed on you due to the Patriot Act. And the other know your customer rules that the banks are enforcing so that when they find out that you're living outside the U.S., 
there are many, not everyone, but many institutions that will just close your account out. And then there's also the country where you live might have in place their own rules to discourage their residents from, you know, investing saving overseas. and investing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, let, let's pause for a minute here, right? Um, this is one of the problems with, you know, talking about this stuff theoretically. I mean, seriously, is it reasonable for somebody who has, even if growing up in the United States, right? but have spent their whole working financial life outside the United States. Is it really reasonable to even suggest that somebody like that should have all their, their financial center of gravity in the United States? I mean, imagine this. We have a U.S. citizen born, somebody born, say, in, uh, in Germany, who is a U.S. citizen. Okay, never lived in the United States, but a proud U.S. citizen, and by God, a proud U.S. taxpayer and information return filer. Now, is it really reasonable to even suggest that somebody like that should say, well, you know, I live in Germany. I hardly speak English. My life is here. Uh, I'm going to die here. But, you know, because I because I was born to a U.S. citizen parent, therefore, all my accounts and financial stuff should be in the United States. I mean, is that a reasonable thing or is that just totally? I don't think you could do it. I don't think you could do it. Securities laws say that the, that these countries, you know, these U.S. companies can't sell to um, to to uh, customers outside of the U.S. But but even that aside, what I'm trying to say here is that's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. Right. In other words, what it is is an extension of this idea, which we haven't talked about today, which is actually I think the key point and the starting point from Cook versus Tate, which is this, that if you're a U.S. citizen, your whole life needs to be measured in terms of the U.S. dollar. Correct? Right. All right. So any American who wants to move from the United States needs to understand that they are not leaving the U.S. dollar behind. They are embracing the U.S. dollar as their master in every respect. I mean, this this is, I think, actually the genesis of the problem here. I, Laura's getting all excited by that. I can see Laura. I don't know, getting excited about it, but um, I, I think you could go further with that discussion of of the U.S. dollar and its power in the world. Um, I want to answer your question about does this ruin people's lives, and I think that the answer to that question is found in these survey reports. Um, there are, uh, you know, for the seat survey report in particular asked a lot of open-ended questions and allowed people to express themselves however they wanted to and whatever length they wanted to on whatever topic they wanted to. And um, I think you will find in, in the third uh, part of the seat survey report, the comments, you will find how people do basically tell you how this has ruined their lives. And um, some tell you in lengthy quotes and some are shorter quotes. And maybe I'll, I'll read a couple of the shorter quotes. Um, someone said, U.S. taxation has been the biggest nightmare of my life and it's not over yet. Maybe it never will be. Another person said, every aspect of this entire thing causes stress, anxiety, rage and frustration. Um, I have spent many hours and had sleepless nights worrying about how my Australian super will be impacted by U.S. taxation. 
Um, these are just, you know, a few of the, just, you know, three of, you know, hundreds of comments like that that you can find in the survey report. I mean, it's definitely having an impact. And of course, the impact that it's having are, you know, and this is just crazy, the people who are trying to comply. It's only the people who try to comply that are impacted by this, you know. I mean, there's still all kinds of people out there, I think, who really don't have any particular sense of this. But so, I mean, you know, we've talked about how this impacts people objectively, right, in terms of, you know, inconsistency between tax rules and financial planning. You know, we've talked uh, a little bit, you know, Laura's introduced the, the worry and this sort of stuff. I'd like to run with the worry thing a little bit more. Uh, I mean, this has reached the point, what I know from, you know, having spent a good number of years of talking about this issue with people, is that for a very significant subset of Americans abroad, their view of themselves is that they have no opportunity or very seriously diminished opportunity to meet their responsibilities, to care for them, plan for themselves, plan for their families. Now, I don't know that this is necessarily true, but the belief, the way they experience it and their view is very, very real. So in other words, you know, these rules appear to have created a class of people out there who, uh, you know, basically have decided that they're, they're not going to, they're not going to try to meet their life responsibilities anymore. They say, I can't do this because I'm an American. Right? It, well, if you look at the, at what people say in the survey, you see that type of, thinking and concluding in two different directions. You either see people just giving up in terms of, I wanted to open a business, I'm not going to. Um, you know, I wanted to pursue this, make this investment, save for my retirement, buy this house. I wanted to do all these things. I'm simply not going to do those things. Um, I'm going to become dependent on my non-US citizen spouse um, be more than I want to or that we're comfortable with because I, I just don't see the point in trying to do anything. Uh, my spouse is going to hold title to our house, title to our bank account. You see that? That's one way of uh, concluding that type of thought process that you just described, John. The other way that people conclude that thought process is by saying, okay, then I have to give up U.S. citizenship. Um, that that's I have to give up U.S. citizenship because if I don't, um, uh, you know, because I want to have a business, I want to own my home, I want to have bank accounts, I need to, I need to save for retirement, and I can't see any path to doing those things if I maintain my U.S. citizenship. Well, certainly, okay, whether people renounce or not, okay, I think it's yes, very, 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 very clear, okay, that for almost every one of these people, unless there's something very specific about their situation in terms of U.S. assets or income streams. For every one of these people, their life opportunities would be enhanced by renouncing U.S. citizenship. Would you agree? Well, in terms of, yes, of course, of course. Karen, would yeah. you agree with that? Uh, yeah, definitely. Okay, but yet, and, you know, and this is what I find fascinating is the whole you know, this group of people who are so abused by the U.S. tax system, 
you know, they 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 don't own anything anymore. I don't know. I'm an American. I don't own anything. I'm an American. I don't have any responsibility for financial planning. I'm an American. I'm a walking target for penalties, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But yet they're reluctant to renounce their citizenship when the message from the homeland is, well, you don't like it, renounce. Okay. So why, what do you think is the dynamic here, right? That people will keep it. Is it, is it a protest? I, I'm not going to let you force me out of my citizenship. Or what is it exactly? Well, John, this is discussed in some of the later uh, working papers that we're going to get to. Um, citizenship is is not a nothing thing, and it, and it shouldn't be discussed as a nothing thing that you can just give up like that. Citizenship is an essential part of a person's identity, and it's protected as a human right under multiple international human rights instruments. It it represents, as, as Hannah Arendt and, and Chief Justice Earl Warren have described it, it, citizenship is the right to have rights. If you are not, you know, it's only through citizenship that you have other rights uh, to live somewhere, to work, all the to vote, all of the rights that come with, with citizenship. Um, the European Union um, protects citizenship as an essential part of a person's identity. So, you know, you... You know, I object categorically to this. Well, just give up your citizenship. No, it, it, it's your human right. It's your constitutional right under the Fourteenth Amendment. No. Well, Laura, if I were to, you know, if I were to summarize, sort of, to bring, you know, our discussion on this module today to, I think, you know, sort of a uh, a logical conclusion, would you agree? that ending U.S. citizenship taxation, severing citizenship from tax residency is probably a necessary condition to actually preserving U.S. citizenship for these people? Absolutely. Karen? No question. Yeah, definitely. So on that note, I'll come back to Laura now. Laura, would you agree that uh, it would be a good idea to stop extraterritorial American taxation now. Definitely. And on that note, you should visit the SEAT website, seatnow, S-E-A-T, now.org. Thank you very much for this conversation today, Laura, Karen, and we will be back with working paper number three. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you, John.